Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, I read a tweet this morning. It said, I've been a lot more involved with Phoenix Rising this year, and I really feel I've found the extended family I've been looking for. There's more to the tweet, but that part alone is exactly how I feel since I started following Phoenix Rising. I think that's how a lot of us who follow this club feel. I know that's how a lot of us feel. I've interviewed a lot of Phoenix Rising supporters for this podcast, and the common bonds we share is our love for the club and our love for the community the family that surrounds it. It's that connection that inspired me to start this podcast. And it's this community that inspires me to hit the record button week after week. Thank you, Craig Chenery, for that heartwarming tweet. Welcome to the show. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone celebrating the holiday. Congrats to the newly crowned Western Conference champions, Orange County SC, and to the Eastern Conference champions, Tampa Bay Rowdies. In the show today, we'll review the two conference finals from the weekend, we'll talk about how the Phoenix Rising roster is shaping up for next season, the 2022 season, we've got John Morrissey who goes by at USL Tactics on Twitter, he's here to give the analysts perspective on the conference finals, and to preview the upcoming USL final, where Tampa Bay Rowdies host Orange County SC on Sunday, November 28th at 8.30pm Eastern Time. Let's kick things off with a review of the conference finals from last weekend. Hey, this is Ray Samora for the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, and you're listening to the Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, on Saturday, November 20th, we watched two conference finals. We saw Orange County take on San Antonio and beat them 5-3 in penalties, and we saw Tampa Bay Rowdies take on Louisville City and beat them 3-2. We're going to start with the Orange County San Antonio game, the Western Conference final. We were expecting an open game and we got it. San Antonio got serious in the 17th minute with a shot on goal by Nathan Fokasha that was saved by Rakowski. In the 23rd minute, San Antonio's man of the match, Marcus Epps, took a shot from the top left corner of the box, but it went wide. When things shifted in favor of Orange County, uh, they had several attempts on, on goal before their first goal, which started with a long throw in from the right side of the park by Brent Richards. It must have been a practice throw in from the sideline to the penalty spot by Brent Richards because it was so on target. Ronaldo Damas was there with seven defenders and four other OC players. Very nice turning volley that redirected the ball to bounce into the bottom left corner of the goal. Kelly, what do you think of that goal by Ronaldo Damas? Oh, it was absolutely beautiful. And some of our listeners might remember the last Orange County game uh, that Phoenix Rising played against Orange County at OC. We were there and I had made a joke during our podcast episode following that about the Brent bomb. And that's what they call it when Brent Richards throws in <laughs> because he can just simply throw it directly to, as you mentioned, the penalty spot. And that's what this was, a Brent bomb. And I mean, Damas, that is insane. It is essentially glorious. It was a beautiful goal. Yeah, absolutely. When we were previewing this game, we mentioned that Orange County, they score at close range, that it was either going to be a lot of bodies in the box 
or it was going to be Ronaldo Damas. And guess what? It was a lot of bodies in the box and it was Ronaldo Damas doing what Ronaldo Damas does. He gets hungry. He can be in the right place at the right time and he can just put it away. What, what a striker. Yeah, it was absolutely a beautiful, impeccable goal. If anyone didn't catch this game, it's worth seeing the highlights just for that goal. As you mentioned, it's a turning volley. I mean, it's a very difficult skill. And then look at that placement. So it was, it, I mean, as we'll hear when we get into the Rowdies game, this happened for us a few times on Saturday, but it was like Niall and I caught ourselves cheering for OC after that one, just because it was so clinical, so beautiful. There were a lot of stats, obviously, on the night, but one in particular, OC had 19 shots on goal. And of those 19, 15 of those came from inside the box. OC are playing true to form. Yeah. Okay, let's move on with it. By the way, that was in the 39th minute of play and it secured the lead for OC going into halftime. After halftime, it was in the 67th minute when we saw San Antonio's Connor Maloney cross the ball from the right side of the pitch. It was between two opposing players, OC's Brent Richards, we just talked about him, and Marcus Epps. Epps had the advantage of the height. Mm. He easily got the header and got the ball down into the bottom left corner of the net. Beautiful goal, Kelly. It really was. And like you said, it was just a matter of having that height advantage because Brent Richards, to his credit, was right there. He was doing his job defending. He was between the man and the goal, but Epps just had it. And Epps is incredible. I don't know, you know, how far you're going to summarize this game, but in the 81st minute, Epps nearly scores a brace. So he was on and he's fantastic. Yeah, that was my next point in my notes here. Um, Epps, you know, he definitely was a standout all night. And just as you said, eight minutes to go, he found himself in the box. It was him, one defender, the goalie. He took a beautiful curling shot around the defender towards the far post. It could have been the winner, but unfortunately for him, unfortunately for San Antonio, it hit the upright and it went out. So we're into extra time, and that was a mixed bag. You had frenzied play with wild shots. You had the ball ping-ponging around in the goal box. <laughs> or you had players lying on the pitch moaning with aching leg muscles. <laughs> yeah. um, Kelly, in the, in the time that, uh, that the players were on the pitch, OC used all five subs for them in the first 90, where San Antonio in the whole uh, of the whole of, of the 90 minutes and in the whole of extra time, they only used three subs. In the first 90, they only used one sub. So they really expected a lot from their players in the night. There were no goals in extra time. So line up the PKs and the rest is history. Three goals for San Antonio, five for Orange County. Congrats to Orange County on their first USL Western Conference Cup. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. I was taking a look at some of the games that led them there. And if you look at just the Western Conference side um, of the bracket, if you will, alone, there were seven games played. Three of those went to extra time with PKs. So, I mean, this structure that we played this year was really good. You can see we ended up with some really well-matched teams. It sort of is just a little throwback to our conversation on the podcast last week about what is the value of that 
extra 30 minutes of time. Often there's no score. Kelly, I just want to say as a Phoenix Rising fan, I think when when you get your ticket to go to a Phoenix Rising match on the backside is printed that you're automatically an Orange County hater. <laughs> you know, we've had Orange County hate week many a time, but um, I'm I'm kind of happy that one of the teams from our division took the Western Conference simply mm. because we heard from a lot of different places throughout the season that the Pacific Division was the weak one. And that's yeah. why Phoenix Rising were doing so well. Well, Orange County kind of proved everybody wrong. And I'm glad to see it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the flip side of that coin is we also heard that the mountain division was the strongest. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't even like there was discussion about the Eastern Conference. It was really that we had the worst and the best right here in the West. Um, So, yeah, I agree with you. And I, I must also say, you know, we've had a chance to see Orange County play quite a bit because, of course, they squared off against Phoenix Rising four times this season. But we've also just watched Orange County games on our own. And, you know, that I think the expression is familiarity breeds contempt, but not in this case, you know, watching this final match, I was kind of rooting for OC cringe. (laughs) And, you know, I think part of it was just being familiar with them, with their players and having some respect from having seen them play so much this season. So it was, it was a good game and a good win. It was a good game. And just final words on it. I was expecting more from San Antonio, you know, having seen them put RGV Rio Grande Valley Yep. And beat them. Was it 3-1 yeah. or 3-0 yep. they beat them? And yep. they did it convincingly and they did it with style. And where was that, you know, on, on Saturday night against OC? Yeah. I, I just feel like OC were, were the better team on the night and they were able to do things that other teams hadn't been able to do against San Antonio. So kudos to them. Well, and that's a nice transition to talking about the Eastern Conference final because after that match, as well as OC played, um, my first thought was, but it's not good enough to beat the Tampa Bay Rowdies. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree with you there for sure. Yeah, let's talk about that game. So it was Tampa Bay Rowdies three, Louisville City two, but Louisville City, they came out strong and were 2-0 up before Tampa got a good look at goal. Kelly, you want to talk yeah. us through it? Yeah, absolutely. It was a wild match. So as Niall mentioned, the final score is 3-2 in favor of the Rowdies. But yeah, Lou City took an early lead. They scored in the 10th minute. They forced an own goal by the Rowdies in the 23rd minute. So that was the score at the half. 2-0 Loose City, which is pretty intense. So Tampa Bay definitely turned up the intensity and found their rhythm moving into the second half, but they just could not make anything stick. They finally subbed in their super sub in the 81st minute. So Phoenix Rising fans think Joey Calistri. And for them, it's Lucky M. Kosana. So he was subbed in, as I mentioned, in the 81st minute. His first touch was in the 83rd minute, and that was a goal. And it was an absolute beauty. I mean, the ball was bouncing in and out, back in, back out of the mixer. And he just delivered a clinical half volley. I mean, Santi Moar would have been proud to strike that. It was absolutely awesome. I love those volleys. You know, we just talked about Ronaldo Donda. 
Dallas. So that was in the 83rd minute. So at this point, things just get crazy. We end up seeing six minutes of stoppage time added to the second half. There were some fouls, there were some injuries, things that caused the game to run even a little bit longer. And in the sixth minute of stoppage time, Tampa Bay gets another goal at the death. Guess who? Lucky M. Kosana Brace. So that happens at the death, and we go into uh, at that point, extra time. So I do just want to mention, we were talking about this in the Western Conference. This was the only game that went to extra time in the Eastern Conference. Wow. And yeah, and actually there was a goal um, and there was only one goal and that was by Tampa Bay. Uh, their player Dos Santos, I'm sure people are familiar with him. He's exceptional. And that goal came in the 102nd minute. Um, and again, I don't know, the heavens parted. And once again, we found ourselves rooting for Tampa Bay. I mean, I'm sorry to, to admit it, but similar to the OC game, we were shocked. But just seeing them come back from that deficit was really intense and really impressive. And um, just kind of a final note, uh, we were watching, as we mentioned, the OC game. Devin Kerr was calling that game. And he mentioned a statistic when talking about the Tampa Bay Rowdies, which is in club history, they've conceded two goals first only five times, meaning they're down by two. And in every one of those occasions, uh, they come back to win or tie. So they're 4-0-1 when they concede two goals first. Um, so that's wow. pretty crazy. And, you know, that's what happened here. And, you know, his point, and I'll agree with him, is that says a lot about a club, you know, when you can be down by two and always come back to win when it matters. So um, it was a bananas game. And certainly you will understand that if you see we ended up rooting for the for the rowdies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That says last, it all. Last week we talked about it. If you only had the opportunity to see one game, that it would be this one. Now, the San Antonio Orange County game, it was a good game, you know, on a regular Saturday night. We would have been glad to have watched that as yep. a cup final. Yeah, it was it was definitely it was a good game. But this one was a phenomenal game. <laughs> you know, yeah, but, yeah, it was. And I mean, it's sometimes hard for me to watch a game when it's not Phoenix rising. I'm just less interested. <laughs> and I was riveted in this one oh, yeah, from start to finish. It was a great game and, you know, kudos to the Tampa Bay Rowdies um, and certainly to OC. So, you know, OC will be headed to Florida. Yeah. For, for Louisville to come out and score those first two gale, goals, you're thinking, whoa, there is the oh. royalty of the Eastern conference. Um, can, is there any way at all that the Rowdies can come back from this? But my God, the tide just turned. The, the Rowdies just got so hungry for it. And it was wave after wave of attack, reminiscent of what, what we see from Phoenix Rising, um, that what we saw from them many times over the course of the season. So for them to be able to come back and get those two goals and then get that third goal, it was, it was absolutely phenomenal. And it was yeah. well-deserved. When I'm looking at the, the stats, um, the number of shots, Tampa Bay far exceeded the number uh, of shots that Louisville had. Yeah. It was 25 to 10. Shots nice. on target was 10 to 4. You know, um, shots outside the box, it was 9 to 2. Shots inside the box, 16 to 8. So definitely when the Rowdies stepped up, when they got that bucket of water poured on their heads, yeah. they really did step up and they took over and they deserve that win, Kelly. Well, and let's just also point out, you know, we always want to give a nod to our podcast name, The Fan Experience. 
this was something we literally commented on while watching the game, just the impact of the 12th man. And I know all Phoenix Rising fans feel this way and do their part. But like, you know, when you're at Wild Horse Pass and you're that close to the players and that close to the pitch and the excitement, you know it and you play your part and you scream and you lift the team up on your shoulders. And that's what happened, Mm -hmm. you know, at Al Lang, that crowd lifted the Tampa Bay Rowdies up. Now contrast that watching the Orange County game. And even, I think it was Devin Kerr commented, whoa, like, you know, your team is tied and you're at home. Where is the crowd? Where is the encouragement? So I don't mean to be negative by stating that, you know, it's always a strange experience in the Orange County stadium. Um, they had a nice crowd there. There were a lot of people, but man, you did not hear them the way you heard them in LA. Oh, no way. No way. Um, and by the way, you mentioned Devin Kerr's comment. There was another comment on the other side, uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies in Louisville City, when the when there was a, there was a bad foul um, by Louisville City. I think it was mm-hmm. on Dos Santos, the Tampa Bay player. Mm-hmm. And the commentator um, commentator talked about how the ref just basically turned a blind eye and he said shame on you Zapal. Oh, yeah. do you remember that yeah called him by name that was intense <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was intense i've never heard that you know usually they hedge a little bit the commentators will say you know uh from this angle or yeah, gee yeah. that's a questionable call you know and we'll yeah. make their opinion known but hedge that was like <laughs> yeah a, a absolute on blast Another reason for us to love the USL. Kelly, I love talking soccer with you. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about these games. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys. This is Andre Rawls, goalkeeper with Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, how happy are we that Phoenix Rising announced the return of 13 players this week? We'll go into this in more detail on next week's show, but for now I'll just mention that we're thrilled to have goalie Edward Lalo Delgado, defenders Ryan Flood, James Musa, Niall Dunn, Darnell King and Manuel Madrid. In the midfield we welcome back Jonathan Levin, Ivan Gutierrez, Arturo Rodriguez, Aidan Quinn and Luis Seijas. On the forward line, we've got Joey Calistri and Santi Moore. Of course, we're sad to say goodbye to John Beccaro and the legend Zach Lubin. As I said, we'll have more on this next week, but right now we're going to shift gears and welcome John Morrissey back to the show. Follow John on Twitter at USL Tactics. John, we're delighted to have you back. I'd love to start off with the Eastern Conference Final. It was a fantastic display. Did the teams approach this like you expected? And what was the key to the successes on the night? Yeah, Niall, thanks again, as always, for having me on. I'm really excited to talk about some of these games and starting out East for sure. So I think coming into this one, I expected a fairly even matchup, but at the end of the day, I thought Tampa might get a pretty solid victory. And something I had highlighted was how Paolo de Piccolo was going to position himself as sort of the second striker uh, within that Louisville system, how he might interchange with Jorge Gonzalez coming in from the left wing. And as the game wore on, certainly in the early stages, I think you saw just how effective his movement was in that role. Um, the own goal that put Louisville up 2 nothing was a direct result of those two sort of swapping positions with Del Piccolo drifting out to the left and then putting in a cross that was ultimately deflected in. 
I think another aspect of the Louisville approach that I really appreciated was how they uh, made it an absolute priority to man Mark Lewis Hilton early on. Hilton really is the driver of a lot of deep offense for Tampa Bay, especially as they come up against a set approach. And so the way you saw uh, Corbin Bone and others track him with his every move was a really smart way of tackling this Tampa side. Um, I did, in my pre-match uh, preview, focus on who would really control possession in the opposing third. And this talking point was kind of blown up by the fact that Louisville went up so early. But I think the fact that they wanted to bunker in and give up possession sort of answered the question for me. It's so hard to defend for as long as Louisville was intending to, especially against a Tampa team with as much firepower as basically any side in the entirety of the league. And so in terms of attacking in that approach, I think the Stephen Dos Santos substitution about maybe 60th minute or so was vital to what the Rowdies were trying to do to break this team down. Juan Tejado was strong early in the game with some of his movement, but the way that Dos Santos physically is able to hold up possession and uh, bear the weight of onrushing defenders is pretty special within USL. And he was so adept at involving teammates in this one and really helping to wear down Louisville over time. Uh, Lucky and Kosana, who, just to get personal for a second, actually played in the first ever soccer match that I attended. Um, he came on as a late substitute as well, playing really well off of Dos Santos with just the clever movement that's set him apart as a professional for years in this league and in the NASL. Uh, he came up with some really nice late goals. And ultimately, Louisville, in the fact that they just made these substitutions to turn so defensive, couldn't generate any offense late on. Uh, they sort of doomed themselves. They switched to a three at the back in extra time to try to put some pressure on, uh, especially through the wide areas. But it wasn't enough, and Tampa carried the day. And they did. Awesome stuff, John. Hey, let's bump over to the other conference, the Western Conference. Tell us about some of the key players there and some of the tactics that were employed. What did you see? In my Again, in my pre-match uh, preview, I highlighted Eric Calvillo as someone who needed to really dominate this game if OC was going to have a chance. And he absolutely did so. He, for me, put in a stronger performance than anyone else in either match. Uh, he was my man of the round, for sure. So the way that San Antonio sets up, they've got that sort of back three with the wingbacks marauding up and down. And then they've got a really aggressive, almost front four with two strikers and then Gallegos and Epps as these highly placed wingers. Well, that kind of leaves you one player, uh, Mohamed Abu, to sort of anchor things in the center of the pitch. And so in that context, you can see how if Calvillo could win that matchup, uh, utilize his skill set to really drive play through the middle of the field, Orange County, who typically hasn't been that strong offensively, could find success. And he did just that. You often saw him drop deep to pick up possession when Orange County repelled San Antonio. And from there, he would dribble up the pitch. He would get his teammates involved. It was a super impressive game from him. I highlighted uh, San Antonio's center backs as players who needed to drive offense as well. And I don't think they did a great job of this, but credit to Orange County in stopping that sort of gambit because the way that they positioned their wingers was really effective. You often saw their fullbacks press higher up the pitch, close off those passing routes that uh, the center backs would try to seek if you're uh, thinking from the San Antonio perspective. And they just generally took a really smart defensive approach there. And then, um, again, thinking about those wide areas, 
uh, Eric Olowski, or rather Brian Olowski, and um, uh, Mika Okuningas for Orange County did a really great job of complementing what Calvillo was trying to do. They too would come deep, pick up possession, dribble into the opposing half, and prevent San Antonio from really activating that high press that's so central to their game. Late on, you saw Ina Boltson, Okoli come on for Orange County. They sort of switched to a 4-4-2, sat in a little bit. You saw some breaks, but they were content to take it to penalties where, again, they got the job done. Great stuff, John. The cup final, it's going to be hosted by Tampa Bay Rowdies. How do you see this game going and what can we expect from each team? I honestly think both of these sides are going to come with a pretty similar approach to what we saw in this last round. I think Garrett Calvillo is going to have to come up big again. But the bigger challenge for him this time is going to be facing that really solid Hilton and White duo. Um, I think one of the questions, if you are thinking from the Orange County perspective, is do you try to man Mark Hilton again? But if so, are you leaving too much on the table? Um, again, Tampa has a bit of a question of Dos Santos versus Tejada in the starting lineup. Against an Orange County team that sits deep, I might lean Dos Santos, but it really is um, a loaded choice in that either one is so effective. At the same time, I'll be looking for Sebastian Guanzati to step up a bit for this Tampa side. He pretty much put in MVP-level form over the course of the regular season, but he's been quiet since the first round, and I think a big performance could hit for him could open things up uh, greatly for the Rowdies. Ultimately, I think this game is kind of similar to the first-round matchup for Tampa against uh, FC's Tulsa. Tulsa was a team that really got their wingers involved in build-up. They played out of a 4-4-2. What they lacked was the defensive discipline that Orange County has, but I do think that there's a sort of formational uh, similarity. And so what you saw from Tampa in that one was the way that they pushed up Aaron Guillen, pushed up Jordan Scarlett, their wide central defenders, to really force uh, mismatches and overloads in the half spaces and get Leo Fernandez involved from wide, for example. So I think if something similar to that plays out, you could see it get ugly for Tampa. But I've kind of thought it could get ugly at any point uh, for this Orange County side, just given some of their offensive struggles, and it hasn't happened. So I'm going to project that Tampa wins this. I've got a 1-0 scoreline, but I think anything could happen because this league is havoc at the end of the day. So, yeah. Well, I don't know, John. I think 1-0 would be... Um... Would be a bit of a surprise. I think it's more like 5-0 to Tampa Bay Rowdies. But anyway, thank you for joining us and sharing your thoughts on the show, John. Thanks, too, to our guest, Kelly McCarthy. Email your questions to us, thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at fanexperiencefc. That's our show for this week. Thank you, Phoenix Rising family, for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. And we look forward to being with you again next week. And until then, go Rising! Go Rising!